So here we go. Episode number 17 of the Wisdom Experience Podcast. Mm. Yay. I know. <laughs> number 17. We're right. moving. We're getting it. We're, cre- we're creeping along in itself. And how are you feeling after 17 episodes? Because you're new to this game. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I... I'm loving it, actually. So I'm loving it for a whole host of reasons. I love it because uh, it means I get to have a what I would call an intelligent conversation about things that I am passionate about once a week. Intelligence um, loosely. So that so that's kind of a bit of a self-serving, I suppose. Mm. But it's good. It's it's really. I mean, I'm really lucky. I'm doing it with you. So so that's kind of twofold. Number one is I get to spend time. I'm with bad today. You because as soon as you You're said mad you, today, I'm that? bad because you said doing it with me, and I was like, oh, uh, where am I at? So sorry. See, honestly, <laughs> I got a. Um, I got. I'm, I'm lowering the tone already. Well, we need to do something on male hormones. <laughs> I think it's probably useful. Um, but it's great because actually you and I both work it, not just independently, but, you know, we work for ourselves and pretty much by ourselves. So when we're with people, we tend to be the consultant, the trainer, the educator, the facilitator, which means that you're not part of the team. You are leading the team or facilitating the team, you know, in, in some way or other. And actually, whilst we both enjoy those roles, you know, we were just talking about how we both enjoy sparking um, ideas and creativity and connections in other people actually to be working with you on the podcast or as a project I'm loving it, it it's really fulfilling um, some kind of parts of my I, I can't think what the words are now because but sort of some of my needs that that maybe had, had sort of been put to one side for quite some time all right very good so yeah so that's what you've been up to, then. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what you're getting out of the podcast. Yeah, head, head exploding. You know, I hate that emoji. The exploding. Well, it's not, I couldn't find it when I was trying yeah, to Yeah, but it makes my skin crawl, that emoji. The head. Does it really? Yeah, when I look at it, it makes my skin crawl. I can't stand looking at that one. Yeah. But why? But why? I have no idea. Just the look of it makes my skin crawl. I don't know. Just the way it looks just makes me go Ew. i don't know curious, all right what the hell are we curious. talking about today we're talking about intelligence um mm. and the title of this is embracing your true intelligence um and it's something that's been a been a passion of mine for a while ever since i discovered discovered an actual way of verbalizing you know where my intelligence might lie so if i give you a bit of a a feel for where i'm coming from um you know and i think i've talked about this in the past when we talked about my mom my mom was really into education education was everything to her and i think it stemmed from the fact i mean she was a you know i've only been piecing part of the story together so she was a teenage mom basically when she had me um, and then her sort of ambitions that she wanted to do in terms of college and all those other things she didn't get a chance to pursue because uh, she you know, was needing to raise me and all that kind of jazz. Um, but because she didn't get to do that, you know, she made education like the number one thing uh, on pain of death if you didn't do well. So I had to do, I didn't have a choice but to do well in school. So you know, I wasn't allowed to, and I know that sounds weird, um, but I got punished if I got anything. If I got a D or an F, I was dead. Um, I got punished if I got, you know, a C. So I, I could just get away with a B. Um, so I, you know, I had to bring home all A's. And I know your school system here is a little bit different, but basically I had to get top 
marks or else the, you know, I was fearful of not getting those things. But luckily for me, I actually liked learning. And I like learning so much in like books, as you can see behind me. And I know you, you know, the listeners can't see, but I mean, I got a billion books. My whole, this whole room is just nothing literally. but books, literally. <laughs> um, and you can't even, you can only see in a version. There's books to the left, there's books to the right. The attic is full of books. There's a whole bunch of books outside in a hallway. Um, and then, you know, if you look at my Kindle, there's another gazillion books. So they've, they were kind of like, you know, I started reading at a very early age. Um, two grades ahead and all that kind of stuff in terms of reading. It's like books were like my thing. And, you know, you know, fast forward to my sort of teenage years, you know, what teenager walks five miles to go hang out in the library, which was me. It was just the thing. I would go to the library, walk five miles to get there and literally spend hours just wandering up the stacks looking for, and a book could catch my attention. So, you know, even now I have a, you know, eclectic reading habit i had one then so i'd just be wandering up the stacks oh that looks interesting and it could be in science or geography it might be history or poetry um it would just be on all sorts of topics if it caught my eye i was in it and i was reading it and i would leave the library with stacks of books and walk another five miles back home and, and just love these things this things called you know sort of books so luckily for me i had a strict mom education wise but i liked education and I liked learning, I should say. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I just devoured it. So if I link this to our topic today about intelligence, one of the things that, you know, for all of my academic life is anything with words, history, English, literature, mm-hmm. political science, social science, you know, I aced easy. But anything with numbers or logical thinking, just I struggled so hard destroy it was so hard for me to do those things um i nearly flunked out of university because at west point i don't know if you know much about west point and that and mm-hmm. um the first two years it's very math science engineering you don't get to do anything towards your major until your second two years and i was a history major but i hear i was having to do calculus and probability and statistics and physics and all these things where i had to do with numbers and things like that um, and I nearly flunked out. But the moment where my academic load switched to more book-oriented or reading-oriented stuff, then my grades started to flourish again. Um, so it became this thing. And it wasn't until uh, doing this sort of coaching certification that I came across uh, Gardner's theory of multiple intelligence, uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit more detail um, today, after my long preamble here, mm-hmm. um, I came across this multiple intelligence idea, and he identified eight intelligences. And one of the things is about, you know, if we were to focus on the intelligence to which we're more geared to, then how much better could people sort of thrive? Um, and then, in, and then coming across this theory of multiple intelligence, I thought, well, there it is. So, my, what would my life have been like, my university experience, if all I was doing was history and English and anything with words, and didn't have, and you know, didn't have to mess around with you know higher math and logic and all that other jazz? Um, you know, where would I be in a system? You know, where would I be if if I was able to shine in the space that? Uh, Kishan, I'll tell one more war story and then I'll be quiet. 
Um, because I was thinking about um, uh, dang, I'm going to be quiet because I can't remember her name now. But it was a uh, Joss Stone. That's it. And and she was another person because one of the intelligence is music, um, and she was being interviewed by a reporter, um, and was, I think she left school at like sixteen or something like that. And this reporter was doing everything to kind of make her seem dumb. And I was really? thinking, yeah, I mean, the kind of questions he was at, it was really dreadful interview. And I was thinking, you know what? The girl discovered that she could sing and it brought her joy to sing. And she was really good at singing. Hence why at young age, you know, she's off on stages and, you know, doing her thing. So why would you try and make her look, you know, dumb? Exactly. Because she wasn't, you know, academically inclined. She was, you know, her intelligence was in music. Her thing was music. Or why not let her shine um, in that space? And so, yeah, so this whole multiple intelligence thing, um, and as I said, we'll go into a little more detail here in a moment. So mm-hmm. just want to get your sense of, because um, I know you've done some pulled out definitions of intelligence, which be hopefully you could share the one from Linda um, and what yeah, your sort of thoughts yeah. on intelligence and what that sort of meant to you growing up? Well, interestingly enough, so so when we, you know, you and I have been talking about how we can refine the podcast and, and what we're offering. And so one of the things, as you know, that I've been playing with is, okay, so how, how can we improve the quality and, and essentially what do particularly I need to do in terms of my approach and my preparation before we record and what I realized was that actually I I almost need to pull out and I know that this is going to have a reaction to you but I, I almost needed to pull out some kind of academic approach because when I have kind of been in my flow when I have a structure to build on and to then then I then I saw when I don't have a structure to build on, I flounder. And I think that's becoming more and more evident because you and I are exploring this in quite some detail offline, um, particularly because I'm at that point where I am really looking at where am I at? How do I want to, um, I don't want to say reinvent myself because it's not reinvent myself. It's basically what do I want to take forward for the next decade? And so from from an academic point of view, when I kind of started to look at this, it was kind of like, okay, so if our chosen topic is embrace your true intelligence, then I think we need to start off with actually, what do we mean by intelligence? So I went and had a little bit of a, a look around and a search because it's a hard thing to put into words. But I was watching a few YouTube videos, which um, is one of my I will say one of my current passions, but actually, I really, I really like YouTube. YouTube's the um, biggest search engine in the world. In fact, that's the, if you're into learning and development, it's the biggest LMS in the world as well. If you want to learn go. anything, go to YouTube and you can learn it. And it's easily accessible. And yeah, absolutely. And if, if you start to listen to one person or watch one thing and it doesn't do it for you for whatever reason, you can go on to something else. And I listen to, to just lots and lots. And in fact, I don't think I took notes on them all, which is a bit of a shame. Um, however, I was listening to one person. I think it might might have been a De Bono talk, Edward De Bono, but I'm not sure. Um, but no, it wasn't. And I can't remember who it was. But anyway, this person referenced Professor Linda, and I might have her name slightly wrong, Gottfusson. And her quote 
really summed up intelligence for me. And, and the one I shared it with you, you liked it too. So this quote is, intelligence is the ability to reason, to play, to solve problems, to think abstractly, to comprehend complex ideas, to learn quickly and to learn from experience. And, and I think that even needs breaking down even further. So intelligence kind of is, is all of those things. But she says it's the ability of these things. She doesn't say whether it's a high ability or a low ability, which gives me the indication that you can learn, you can develop, you can, you can practice these things and improve on them, or you can not practice on them and you know, the level of skill rather than maybe inherent talent, that level of skill will diminish. And that was really important for me to, to get my head around. Well, that was interesting because I read something in my reading where they were saying that um, about we go to the gym and exercise, do yoga and stuff like that to exercise our muscles, but we don't exercise the biggest muscle in you know our brain which is a muscle itself that needs to be exercised absolutely um, and so you know using it into in its various different ways is is kind of what it's for and, and if you don't use it then yeah you do lose it um, and I don't know if I shared that Ryan Holiday article I think I did he was talking about how to read more um, and Warren Buffett was the same and he you know Warren Buffett's like one of the richest men in the world and his business day he spends eight hours reading and few hours doing the business because yep. for him it was, you know, that is where you learn everything is through reading. Um, and so he prioritized his, his read. It, well, and same with Ryan Holiday was prioritize reading over everything else um, because that's where the expansion of the mind, that's where the ideas come from, that's where... Um, again, you know, you exercise and that's where, you know, anything that you want to do and to do better, you need to expand the mind. So, and I know a lot of people will say, well, I don't have time to read, um, or don't like reading. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be all these, those sort of things. And there's, you know, I guess these days there's different, you can listen to books now on tapes and, and I, this might be another one because I, I know some people say they read, but they really listen to audiobooks. And I'm and I haven't thought much about this, but in my head I'm thinking, is that reading? Um, but they do cast, classify that as you know. I read that book, even if it is that they listen to an audiobook. But for me, actually, in the sense, as long as you get it in your head, you know, it's all good. In fact, I've started listening to more audiobooks because I can't read while I'm walking, but I can listen to an audiobook while I'm walking. So, um, in fact, I just finished one on existentialism, um, which was pretty cool. Anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, this intelligence aspect, and I liked you, your question that you had underneath that was about what happens when you can only do mm. some or even one of those things well, and how do we measure what well is? But I think Absolutely. that's good to point out. We talk about the ability uh, which is probably the key to that is, you know, and, and ability relates back to skill. And then you practice these different things, which is why, you know, people give video games, you know, on a surface, they'll just throw at it and um, diss them. But in actuality, you practice nearly all those things that you've just listed there um, on video games, which, you know, we, we mentioned um Reality is Broken, uh, a book that I read. And again, great, great thesis. 
Um, I can't remember the lady's name right to, right off the top of my head right now. Um, but you know, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast. I can't remember so many podcasts I do where, um, you know, the whole, uh, 10,000 hours to get good at something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So we haven't mentioned it on this podcast. Oh, we haven't. Okay. So, so, yeah. So, um, that's right. 10,000 hours to, to become an expert in something. Yeah. Yeah. So Malcolm Gladwell wrote us that book. Was it either think or blink or one of those, but it's, you know, in it, it was, you know, 10,000 hours to get good at something. So in her thesis, cause she liked gaming and, and the like. So for her PhD, she was like, well, the average um, US student will spend 10,000 hours playing video games. So what are they learning? Um, and so in an exploration of that, they're actually learning tons, especially the ones that play these online games where they multicultural because mm-hmm. they're playing with people from around the world. They have to solve problems, complex problems. They have to work together in terms of communications and solving these problems. Um, and, you know, and they do it quickly. They can quickly look at something and get involved in this situation and they adapt and they overcome and, and they go. Um, and it was interesting because my, my son was a crazy gamer, still is a crazy gamer. And, you know, I had the typical parent thing. You're like, oh, you know, you spend too much time on that thing, you know, and I'm old school. It's like, get outside, go outside, you know. And so, but then one night, one time, one I just say, you know, after reading that book, let me get in here and see what's going on. So um, he kindly let me come and join his, him and his friends doing it. And I just couldn't keep up with these kids, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they were just, you know, and they, you know, and and the combo, everything's going wild. It was like being back in the army with, with my uh, uh, CVC on and all the voices in my head. And um, so, yeah. So, so basically, what she was saying is, you know, instead of dissing the video games, what we could do is actually because they learn a lot and and they get a bunch of stuff out of it, just change the parameters of the game. You gamify it, and they'll pick it up. So maybe make a game where they solve the world's energy crisis. And she did that for part of one of her projects. And then the kids just take to it. They, you know, it's like, and then, and then there they off. So it was, um, and I was, I guess I'm saying all that to say, yeah, you've got to practice the skill of, or to increase your ability is through practice, whether it's through yeah. those brain training games or whatever. Well, and and this is it, and and you've sort of, as ever, you've mentioned so much in there, and there's a a couple of things that I just want to personally put in. So uh, my great-grandma, I was very, very lucky, and my great-grandma didn't die till I was... I must have been 20. So I was was away at university when it happened at the other end of the country. Um, But I'd known her, you know, kind of my whole life till I was 20. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And and she's a very interesting woman. She was a a refugee. um, So that's maybe a story for another time um, because I found her very inspirational, certainly the story of her, if you like. Um, But she always used to say, use it or lose it. And, and I think this was, you know, or this is another thing. So you, you just mentioned about culture. And actually, you know, I think there is very much this awareness in, in certain cultures of education is, is a prize. Um, you know, it's something to commit to. It's something to attain to. And it doesn't necessarily mean that actually that is education in our traditional sense of, of maybe school or university or, you know, kind of having letters after your name, although that does tend to come as a, 
uh, a linked, I can't think of the word right now, but just sort of, you know, people then do naturally go to that. But it's about the study, the study of books. And actually, you talk a lot about being a self-directed learner. Um, and I like that. I like that. But I, I, it's it's something that maybe I'm I've not done anywhere near as consciously as you have. And I kind of think, yeah, I'm probably ready to, to do more of that self-directed learning at the moment. So I, I shared that because I wanted to say about my grandma, my great grandma saying, use it or lose it. And then you were also talking about gaming. And I think this is really, really important because obviously, you know, this podcast is kind of aimed at people from their sort of their mid forties to their mid fifties um, and probably a bit older than that. And actually uh, I think most of us do struggle to understand the benefits of gaming because all we see, if you like, is our children disappearing into rooms or our grandchildren disappearing into rooms. They're not communicating with us. So we're not having a conversation. We're not having a connection. And we are then, they come off their games. And I, I don't know about yours, but I've certainly noticed with mine, they tend to be more aggressive. They tend to be more abrupt. Um, they have a bit of a zombie look about them. Their eyes have kind of glazed over. And I know I'm not the only parent that's noticed this. So, you know, it's kind of a, a, an interesting one. And then about... Yeah, I, I think so. But it, so, and it, is it... Mm, that's interesting. Um, I don't think we've... Ex- we didn't experience that end of it um, in terms of the aggression or any of that thing. It just was just trying to get him off of it but then because i got interested because we say gaming and automatically we start thinking about um computer games but as i started going more into well what is gaming actually if you go back to the 70s i was just looking around uh, for a couple of books i got on play and then when they actually do the research on it you find out that we need play play is a fundamental mm. part of our our, our relationship with other people in terms of the uh, relating to people, relationships, Como, developing a community, play is a part of that play. Um, and it's not just kids, it's all the way through our development. So um, that sense of play, once again, is something that they're benefiting from. Uh, I've seen mm. a quote the other day was, um, you know, being able to experience and enjoy something with another person, even though they're not in the room. And I know, you know, and again, it's a generational thing probably, and we think, you know, I'm like, oh, get outside. Um, but what they're doing, what we did, they're just doing it in a different environment. And, you know, their communications is, as I said, when I got on and played with these guys, you know, listening to them, you know, you could, you know, it was, you know, the thing they were doing is very complex. And in fact, I was thinking, you know, in some ways, you know, take some of this stuff to corporate and get them to play games. Because um, as you well, that isn't that what we do when yeah. we do a team building day? Well, yeah, example, yeah, well, so, you know? because people, because it, because it becomes it's not theory anymore. Because I actually have to do the thing. I have to um, do um, I have to mm-hmm, put into mm-hmm. practice. And I won't, you know, if you just keep it to the theory level, which is why I do do team building stuff. Then people can say what they would do. Um, as opposed to seeing them in the act and how they actually re- respond to stress or pressure 
or communicating with another person, whether their communications are clear and all that sort of stuff. Um, then you've got actual, you know, it's in this evidence base. We've seen what you've done as opposed to telling me what you would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, yeah, so listening to it's a very complex stuff that's going on um, well, inside these and, environments. And obviously, you know, I've got a, a way back when background in education. And um, it, it is really important that we experience through play um, the difference I think with online games versus uh, maybe kind of games that just naturally evolve let's say in the playground is that there is there's a, a structure behind it all so, games have structure or it's not a game well kind of yeah but this, this um, is what I found in this but, this the thing on play so which is interesting I, and I gotta find it I'll put them in the show notes because like it kind of dissects well what is game and what's play and what do you need and part of it is you need a set of rules the rules need to be clear um you need an objective and so you know i gotta get this build that you know so some objective there's got to be some rules um, and then there's got to be penalties for people who don't play inside of the rule set so Mm -hmm. if you take any one of those things away any of that structure then it's no longer a game so the game is essentially kind of like a mini society, a mini yeah, yeah. community, if you like, which yeah. is brilliant. But the one thing I did want to say, so I have a friend who is a psychologist and she, uh, so she, I, I have two boys, she has two girls. Um, and it's, it was sort of quite interesting. So her girls really got into, I think it was Candy Crush at some point. And, and I'm not into gaming at all. I've never understood the purpose of it. And I, even though I have tried to play these things, it's kind of like, you know what, I, it, it's not real life. So for me, I've just not managed it. Um, but she took a look at this and what she realised was that there is, she doesn't know if it was obviously uh, calculatedly constructed to be like this, but it is very much along the psychological development. So it is, you're absolutely right. It is about, you know, you reach that objective and then you get drawn into the next stage because there's something else and there's something else and there's something else. And she said it's it's perfectly, it perfectly mimics the natural brain development. So so that must be from a motivational point of view. I find absolutely fascinating. And and then, you know, you could go, well, how, so how much are we being led as opposed to how much are we exploring ourselves? Yeah, well, this is, um, I found the two bo- uh, books. Bernard de Coven is the guy, The Well-Played Game, the pl- A Player's Philosophy. And his other one was Playful Path. Um, and both, so The Well A Player's Philosophy, great book. Um, we really want to understand uh, games and their importance to us and our development, um, which again made me because I've had ups and downs with games. So, you know, and partly it's society's push to say that games are a waste of time. So then I was looking at games and thinking, oh, I could be doing something else in quotation more productive. But when I got into the science of games and gaming and what's happening, I was like, actually, there's some brilliant relationships. There's some brilliant mm-hmm. stuff that's going mm-hmm. on with this. Um, so renewed my interest in playing games, board games, computer games. So at home, we quite often play uh, board games. We participate in board game uh, week or whatever, where you get together with a bunch of strangers and you're playing games. Um, but it renewed my interest in games to the point where because I allowed myself to be led in this space that says they're not productive, but to actually want to really start to understand them. 
um, I was like, okay, well, I get this now. I get why and the use of it and the connection um, that 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 it brings out in you and and practicing. Mm-hmm. So even if it's um, games like Candy Crush, it doesn't have to all be violent games. It's any game that you're playing. So some of those things that you listed, those are the very things that you are exercising when you're mm-hmm. playing um, these games. So when you talk about complex ideas, when you talk about uh, learning from experiences. Why the when the lady when she was talking about reality is broken, she was one of the things is, you know, we don't have, um, we don't have this. The risk and rewards aren't as as dynamic in real life. Um, in terms yeah. of, you know, the alert the, the expo. I'm trying to find your definition again. That whole, you know, learning from experience and learning quickly and com- com- you know. So so she was saying that you know again we're. In the real life, we've because we've gotten such a little drone-ish type thing, we were not challenging ourselves in those kind of way, which is probably why the gaming industry is a you know multi-billion-dollar industry now. Um, that people disappear into these because they're not getting um, those things that we need in the work, you know, in the work that they're doing and that kind of thing. So, what you probably have noticed in the last sort of five years or so um, in corporate. This whole gamify thing is coming out. Like most e-learning and uh, uh, LMS mm-hmm. stuff, you know, there's all the big selling point is it has the gamification to it, um, and it's actually interesting that because um, I've helped implement a few um, sort of e-learning strategies in a couple of companies, and and some people they're like, oh yeah, they they were all for the gamification, and others are like, oh, I don't want to do it. Um, and it wasn't just a generational thing, too. Um, I think it like people who are more sales oriented, where they eat it up. It's like, oh yeah, competition, and I can. Mm-hmm. But but the thing was, is because it had the gamification, they forgot all about the fact that they're learning. But they were learning because I couldn't get the points without learning. But then, where learning was boring, now that I got something I'm striving for, actually, I want to be on top. Um, mm. Then I want to learn everything so that I can have all the points, which is a fascinating dynamic, I think, with humans. Just throw, make it a game, then all of a sudden, the thing that someone was dreading doing, they forget that it was dreadful, and then they're going at it just so I could be the winner, be on top, get the most points, which mm. is just fascinating to me. But it's a great, and I think like Hamilton, I don't know if you've seen the play. We have absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. But, absolutely listen, brilliant. but imagine if all your history was like that. If every oh, history class, <laughs> if you learned history that way, there would be a lot of people that would be into being historians. Um, totally, totally. And, yeah, it was a fact. Yes. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go. go, go. I, I'm literally. I, it was mind blowing, and I, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I know it's relatively kind of recent, anyway. Um, and I am surprised we haven't talked about it before. But this is one of the great things of 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 during kind of lockdown. So we're at home with our kids, and uh, you know, my husband and I are aware of of things like cultural cap. Cu- 
sorry, I can't speak, cultural capital. And so we want to expose them to a whole range of things. So whether that's, you know, things within our home or whether it's things further afield. And, and you know, when we talk about cultural capital, kind of the immediate thing you would start to think about is things like museums and um, and art galleries and, and reading and so on and so forth. Um, and we watched a lot of the National Theatre Live performances and we started off watching them um and eventually we kind of realized that actually it was quite hard going watching these quite heavy plays once a week which was quite interesting because it started off with one man two governors which was brilliant and we can talk about this another time and and i do know we need to bring this back to intelligence which is what we were talking about um but then we'd had a bit of a lapse and then my husband said i really want to see hamilton and i was kind of like okay you know that sounds good um not that i knew what it was about yeah. And then it came on and we got both of our boys in the room because we, we went through, a, you know, kind of a few weeks within lockdown where they'd clearly had enough of, of being around us for too much, too much time. So we'd kind of all drifted apart. And Hamilton was the thing that brought us back together. And I mean, both of my boys are into history in very different ways. One is very into his military history. Um, and the other says he's into history, but I haven't really seen evidence of this. Um, however. Hamilton started, and for for anybody who's listening who hasn't come across it, it is a musical of the founding, is it the founding? No, it's not the founding fathers, is it? It's one in particular, and his story of how he... But most of the guys in it were part of the founding fathers, weren't they? All of the Washington and Hamilton, Jefferson, all all founding fathers, yeah. Whereas I could not have even said that in a sentence before I watched Hamilton. And I watched this and there was a story to it and the quality, the, oh, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed thinking about it because the words were fabulous. The music took you from the very first beat. Literally, I kind of, I turned round and both of my children were hooked on the television. I was... Oh, it's just brilliant. The well, it's one of things. Well, there's a couple of things going on. One is history. Two is hip hop. A lot of people say they don't yeah, like it, but exactly. It, you know, uh, uh, so you oh get a lot. So creative. But listen, this that is you know, if you think before the printing press, that's actually how we learned, wasn't it? Uh huh. So we go back to you know your Odyssey and the Iliad and and, and all of yeah. that. That's you know we didn't have the printing press, so you learned through and to make it memorable which is why iambic pentameter is you know a meter that we a lot of old poems mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. are written in um, and poetry was um is for the ear not for reading because that's how you just recite the stories you had the bards and things like that they go and yep, they sing yeah and that was how oral history is kind of or, or not even just oral history but learning um through um those means were there so just the power then i guess we were just saying all that to say that once you change the condition to make it fun, make it something that someone can engage in, mm-hmm. the learning becomes huge. Now, I did want to talk about Gardner's theory of multiple intelligence. Yes, um, and I've got, but, I'd like to touch on Tony Bizan and uh, mind mapping. And I also want to bring in uh, Daniel Goldman's emotional intelligence as well. Okay. Um, so, and, and all the stuff that we just previously talked about kind of fits into... Well, all of that. So if, if we hit the theory of multiple intelligence, because different ways in which people learn things and come through to things in terms of you know where their natural ability um, kind of lies. So um, Gardner 
essentially, um, it was a 1983 uh, book he wrote called Frames of Mind, A Theory of Multiple Intelligence. And basically, um, he's just saying that there's different kinds of intelligence, whereas schools tend to um, focus on uh, the sort of verbal and math um, in terms of the sort of two things, isn't it? Math and 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 digit, uh, English is the thing you know, that it's kind of geared towards those spaces. Um, but that if we were to um, tap into an individual, you will discover that there's at least these eight intelligence. And um, the eight basically um, are, where am I, eight at? Um, well, I can yeah. tell you. So visual, spatial. That's it, visual, uh, Linguistic, spatial. verbal, logical, yep. mathematical, bodily, kinesthetic, musical intelligence, interpersonal, intrapersonal, yeah. and naturalistic. Yeah, that's it. Now, did you do the the um, the little test? I did. Yeah. I, so I yeah. did a couple of the tests that you sent over because yeah. I was kind of obviously curious. Yeah. What was your top three? So, what do you think my top three would be? Uh, well, I would assume interpersonal would be coming out uh, as one just from the line of work that you do, but um, and maybe kinesthetic. Oh, interesting. No, I'm not kinesthetic. No. I've never been kinesthetic, which is why I've had to work so hard to actually connect with my body wisdom, actually. And I was talking about this, uh, one of my really close friends. In fact, I've got two. I've got three close friends, actually, who are all yoga teachers. But I was talking with one last night and we were talking about that, that body awareness. But that's for another time, perhaps. So So, that's really interesting. So, yeah, so no. (laughs) Well, my top three was interpersonal, uh, verbal, linguistic and visual spatial. Were my yeah, top three. And I would get that with you. I could see that that would be. So I was interpersonal, intrapersonal, and verbal linguistic. Yeah. But I say that with a massive but because actually, when I did, the, there was two that I did. And the second one, as in when I went through it all, um, actually came out with my top one. And I will say verbal linguistic, intrapersonal, and interpersonal were all 69%. But my top one was logical mathematical at 72%. Yeah, well, I had to laugh at that um, and it decided that it was an anomaly <laughs> and I'd clearly answer something incorrectly because the, the three that I, I mentioned, I can totally, totally see. I wonder if you um, did what I did when I was taking it. I forgot which side was most. I was answering it the opposite and I had to go back through and <laughs> and redo them because I was maybe, maybe. answering um, the wrong yeah. scale. And it is interesting. So, and maybe we've talked a lot about critical thinking skills and, and so maybe it was something to do with that. But the whole point is what you're saying in terms of, you know, Gardner's theory is there are these multiple intelligences and it's it's not that you're, you know, some people will have one that's absolutely off the charts compared to the rest. But actually, there's probably more people, certainly like me, who, and, and okay, 69% across three is quite a, um, you know, is, is quite even. Um, but actually, probably a lot of people are within a fairly small bandwidth. And that's that understanding is that all these differences of, you know, these different focuses of intelligence, if you like, all work together to develop the whole. Yeah, and I, I, I was something else I was reading where um and it was just again one of these alternative school type environments not the big big one but um one of the things because there's a small number of kids in the school and so the teachers have the time to do it 
is that they were they've taken Gardner's um, multiple intelligence and they craft the lessons to for the individual student in the intelligence that works best for them. So they'll okay. use elements of whatever that kid's top to you know. So I got to you know you have to have a base level of education of things to sort of learn. But instead of just having one lesson plan geared more heavily towards one or the other, they allowed the kid to approach the thing that needed to be learned um, using their, uh, whether it's musical or whatever, using their, their strengths to learn the material in, in the context of that strength. Okay, so so how recent was that, and um, was that UK based or American based? No, it was, or... was American based. Um, okay, and yeah. and do you know how recent it was? This probably would have been early two thousands when I was just okay. kind of getting into so, this. I, I mean, I, I don't know anything really about the American education system, but what I can tell you is certainly over here in the UK. Um, I would be, you know, what you're saying, we may not do it that clearly per se between the eight of Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, but certainly I would expect the vast, 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 vast majority of our teachers in the UK education system to, for every lesson plan, there should be an element where they are working towards the predominantly visual learners, where they're working towards the the predominantly audio learners, and where there is an experiential side of things for the kinesthetic learners. So it may not be quite as complex as Gardner's theory, but absolutely our teachers in this country, you know, that's certainly one of the things that um, when Ofsted were coming in and, and looking at in schools, they are uh, looking for each individual lesson to have a variety of, if you like, perspectives is the wrong yeah, word, yeah, but no. essentially to, to reach all the, the, because the children. Because we do that as trainers as well. Ways. But I noticed on LinkedIn recently, and this is you know as early as you know, the end of last year, um, there's all this research surfacing now um, debunking the learning styles visual mm. editorial kinesthetic you know what I, I know exactly because <laughs> exactly. i mean think I mean, think for how long we've been doing that as as trainers we've been doing the whole sort of uh visual auditory kinesthetic and then all of a sudden um it's now being uh debunked to the point i was because it's been so recent i think i was doing something with a client or getting ready to and they didn't want me to mention say anything they didn't want to mention that you know so i guess i had to scrub the fact that we were doing these different hitting these different modalities because of what's been surfacing around recently around that which is ridiculous because i don't know i think for myself personally um how i like to learn is 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 actually um like listening like when I think mm-hmm. about what so if, I don't even take, so it was weird because I had, so at university, if I took notes, I didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. I had to listen 
But then I had to team up with someone that was a real good note taker because <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. then they can fill in my gaps. Right. So me. now you've mm. got me on a little bit of a, this is my kind of interest, a passion at the moment um, for a few reasons. One, because obviously you mentioned it and then I love how everything comes together. Uh, two, because I've got a, a son who is year 11. So he's just gone into, this is GCSE year for him. Mm. And of course, there's a lot of talk about the year 11s and the year 13s this year and how they're going to cope. Um, because of what's happened with lockdown. And so I've been very much trying to help him find his way of how he best learns. And we were having this conversation yesterday. So he needs to learn, he needs to learn what, what skills he, he needs to learn his preferences. He needs to learn the skills he currently has and the, the, the level of that ability going back actually to um, Professor Gottfried's, you know, um, what do you call it? And he then needs to be open to new ways of learning. So one of the things that he's been doing um, with a company called Elevate Education is looking at note-taking. And essentially, so you sort of, you listen, you immerse yourself in the material, and then afterwards you would start to to pricey it or to summarise it and to pull it out and then to prioritise it and organise it and all this kind of stuff. And, And I'm like going oh my gosh teach me teach me um and he did actually talk about it with uh with his dad who was reading a really complex report um I can't remember if it was a United Nations report um but it was something of that caliber and you know my husband was sort of saying you know and actually different people are are not you know they're not necessarily understanding how to go through it and he said well dad you can do it like this and he shared what he'd learned about the note-taking method which of course was absolutely brilliant because you teach what you need to learn and then that helped him understand the relevance of what he is doing in school in education in the real world which of course a lot of our children particularly you know and I am going to do a sweeping statement here but particularly boys cannot make that connection so Yes, I'm very passionate about all of that. And, you know, I think it's very easy for people to discredit what other people have, have done. And I think the point is, actually, I think you need to look at everything. Yeah, well, no, exactly. And work out what well, I need to look you. at everything. <laughs> that's, I think that's the... <laughs> well, that's the, well and, 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 and that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't like to work, They're like lazy thinking, as in, and then you hear about the bubbles... Um, you know, the whole sort of echo chambers um, because I'm not willing to come outside of my little echo chamber and read everything. And I think the only way that you can really get around it, knowledge and viewer things is by reading everything on both sides before even the stuff that goes against everything you believe, then immerse yourself in the opposite. Um, Absolutely. And then then somewhere and somewhere in there, as we used to say in the army, somewhere in there is, lies the truth. You know, every, mm. and, and the and, truth and the has point, a time date stamp on it too. So what's true today might necessarily be true Absolutely. tomorrow. So, and that, um, that's so important. It is. It's about getting these this wide range of, of information, of perspective. It is about developing. I mean, we're talking about intelligence, but it is about developing, let's say, thinking skills. And, and, I, and we've you know, we're going to do a, an episode on maybe kind of a how to think at another point. But it's about having those skills and practicing those skills and taking those skills further so that you can take on board all this information and be clear. This works for me right now. 
but also to be open that you may need or want something different in the future. But that's the whole idea behind the whole sort of lifelong learner, isn't it? And this is one of the things that, I mean, I guess I'm fortunate or lucky that I loved learning. Uh, Like my kids don't love learning, which I find fascinating. I can't can't even comprehend how someone could not love learning. That's how much I love learning. So, you know, my kids kids both did well at at school. My daughter did better than my son did. You know, he did just enough to, you know, kind of get by-ish. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was uh, but a smart kid, but an underachiever. So didn't mm-hmm, see the mm-hmm. need to... So op- often for yeah. many of our boys, it's a big thing that, you know, the education system has been trying to, to redress that balance. And then... That, right. so, so I've got a question for you, yeah. actually, which is, because obviously your, your, your mum, you know, was so dedicated to you doing the best that you could in an academic setting so not the best that that i could i couldn't do less than the best well i was coerced sorry so it was i don't think think it was coercive there was there was pain if i didn't do well so well exactly and that's my question so at that point did you enjoy learning well this is it do it because it was too painful no i i was lucky this is what i'm saying i'm super lucky that even though that was all so it wasn't never a forced thing for me. As in, she didn't have to force me to do my homework. For I loved learning, which is why, I don't, again, I don't understand my kids. It had nothing to do with her in that sense. I knew that I couldn't bring back a bad grade. But imagine if I was a kid that didn't like learning. Well, exactly, exactly. Like my sister. So she had a harder time because, you know, again, she wasn't into it. But, you know, I had the same mom, but sister was, you know, it wasn't her thing. So for me, it was easy because I loved it. So mm. that was a no-brainer. It was an easy, it was a walk in the park for me um, you know, to do that. I love that. I don't think I even knew you had a sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got a sister and a brother. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. I so did not know that. For some yeah. reason, I had in my head you were an only child, no. which is obviously your lone wolf personal. No. So, right. So just because, as I say, there's a couple of other things that I wanted to mention. Mm. So, um, you know, in, in looking at this and and you know, sort of starting to understand. So what is intelligence? And and I do like that quote. It's the ability to reason, to play, to solve problems, to think abstractly, to comprehend complex ideas. I'm not sure about the learning quickly, um, but I do get the learning from experience. Um, So when we started to look at this and, and, and I was starting to do my kind of pulling my thoughts together, I... Can I ask you something before, just before you okay, go? Go on, because well, I obviously paused for too long there. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, well, because you're going you're getting ready to move off of Linda. But I guess I'm just, it made me think of Socrates. And we were just saying what intelligence is, is somebody has the ability to do these things. What was what would it look like for the opposite? So if I didn't, if I wasn't intelligence, what am I lacking? So what, well, does, it, what does that look like? If you go back to her... her what's the word? I can't think of the word, her, her explanation of it. Then what she's saying, it's the, the ability to do these things. So if you're lacking in intelligence, you don't have the ability to reason or to presumably to learn to reason or to, to play. Although, And is that a genetic thing? Is that because I've got hit in the head with something? or? Well, I would say kind of in, in my mind that they that would be the only reason, as in it would be a genetic predisposition, which would mean that the brain cannot 
function in a way that allows that ability to learn to reason or to develop reason. I mean, have you ever um, read someone who thought that person is not very intelligent? Have you ever come across a person? Who's like, oh, absolutely. But what you was know, so, it? What was it? What characteristic made you think, well, this person isn't very intelligent? Oh, oh me? Oh, um, no. So, so no. So I've not thought of it, but as in I've come across it, um, particularly you know, and, and we've talked a little bit before about, you know, I taught in prison for a, a few years and it was heartbreaking to hear so many stories. And obviously it was an intense environment. And, and you know, the reason why a lot of the guys were in here, but were in my classroom was that they were, you know, there was basically a teacher had written them off. And it might have only been one teacher saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, but you'll never amount to anything. And essentially what that child took at obviously an impressionable age was that they weren't intelligent. So words like maybe they were thick or they were stupid or um, it just heartbreaking because Everybody and I did not meet one person who did not have any kind of, let's say, brain injury um, in prison who didn't, who wasn't intelligent. Everybody's intelligence, and this is why I wanted to come back to Tony Bazan. So Tony Bazan was a fantastic man, and he was one of the very first audiobooks that I got, and I got it on tape. And I, I, I've got the two tapes and I've got my original two audiobooks. And a Deepak Chopra one was 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 one, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And Tony Bazan, Use Your Head was the other. And to this day, and, and, and when I'm saying this, so this must have been back in the mid-90s that I got these tapes, I can hear his voice in my head as he talks about little boy A and little boy B. And I, I have the resonance of hearing that voice. So I am, as we can tell, very auditory. Um, and what he was talking about was that little boy A and little boy B would be sitting in the classroom. And, and I can't remember, maybe there was 30 kids in the class. And the kids in the classroom would sit in order of their intelligence or their capability or whatever term you want to call it. And so the cleverest boy would sit at the front right-hand side and then next to him would be the next cleverest boy and then next to him, the next cleverest boy. And on it would go all the way through the classroom until right in the back left-hand corner was, was what actually turned out to be little boy B. And little boy A was the intelligent, the most intelligent in the class. So he was in the you know number one position, if you like. And little boy B was in number 30 position. And one day, little boy A said, hang on a minute. I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Because my friend, little boy B, is really intelligent. When we go out after school and we go into the fields, my friend, little boy B, knows the animals. He knows the plants. He knows what's safe. He knows what's not safe. He's got, he's the one that guides me. So why is it that in the classroom, I'm the one that's more intelligent and he's the one that's less intelligent? And that has stayed with me forever because, and, and it links obviously with what you were saying about Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. You know, little boy B was clearly what we would call a, you know, his intelligence area was naturalistic. 
But it is that understanding that everybody has intelligence. And if we can allow them to play to their strengths in that area, it is highly likely to lift their ability in all other areas. But do you think genetically some, that we might have a – like is intelligence about potential? So, I, Or like I have, you know – so in this ability, is there a cap on my ability? Like there's a cap on how fast I can run just based off of my physiology and, you know, genetics. And all. There's, a, there's a cap. No matter how hard I train, no matter what proper gear things – you know, I might be able to increase, but there's going to be a cap. I'm never going to be a, a Hussein in Bolt. Yeah, just not yeah, yeah. going to be. Because there is a, yeah. So, so I, do, I do people have a cap if, on their what their intelligence level could be? And I guess so, it's maybe where IQ and stuff comes in. I guess if I absolutely had to put my kind of stick in the sand, I would say yes. And you've you've given us the you know the best example ever because people are very clear today about Usain Bolt and why he you know kind of was is, is the fastest man in the world. Um, and there is a limit, you know. I like you. I'm certainly never going to be as fast as as Usain Bolt. But I think when it comes to intelligence and capability which is really what, what I'm personally interested in. I think, you know, you're only going to reach that cap when you go as far as you can go. But the, the thing is that there's always something else to learn. There's always, you know, you can take things from a different perspective. And again, we'll talk about De Bono and his, his six thinking hats in a different episode. But we can take the same subject and we can look at it in a variety of ways. And that will always bring something else so that's about breath. Well, how about this? Maybe. How about this? Because I know some people that are super intelligent but aren't very smart. And does that make any sense what at all? What do you mean by smart? Uh, almost a kind of... Um, and then one of my friends who has who is super intelligent, the way they described it is just they it's, it's almost... Yeah, they got this big capacity, but then maybe their experience and the sort of common sense and how to apply right. that... Um, isn't there? So, as smart as they, as intelligent as they are, they don't necessarily mean that they're that smart, especially about a number of different things. So, if you mean, and I think you do, so smart, and you said common sense. So, when people, it's when people confuse the kind of being intelligent with common sense. The two are are different, albeit they are linked. So, go back to Linda's uh, pr- Professor Linda. And what, what about Linda. this? What about this? Well, yeah, get that out. The Linda, yeah, go for it. I like her. Uh, yeah. So, when we go back to what she says, you know, actually, it's about learning quickly and learning from experience. Now, that is common sense. So, if you burn yourself on the stove, you know, there is something in you that tells you, don't do that again. That stove might be hot, or that thing might be hot. That becomes common sense, and it's then about. Well, like my dad to used to that. accuse me of being like very book smart, but didn't have any common sense. Well, so do you have common sense? Well, I do, but for him, because he didn't, he was the opposite of my mom. He wasn't all into the whole education thing. He was a guy that liked working with his hands and building things, and you know, making shelves and taking cars apart, which I had no interest in. Um, so for him, I just had my head in the clouds and very book smart. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have common sense. And yeah. and I think again, or I didn't this have is common a, sense. A, 
Exactly. This but is, isn't this there a saying that saying that uh, common sense isn't that common? Well, yes, exactly, because it has to be learned. You know, that's the thing. You know, you quite often hear a child saying to a uh, sorry, a, a parent say, "Child, you've got no common sense," and it's kind of like, well, you know, they still have to learn it. Um, and and that's the thing. Common sense is not an innate understanding. It is. The, the sense of knowing, the sense of understanding, that becomes common because a group of people, you know, uh, understand it, if you like. Do you know, I have no idea what time we started recording. Yeah, but we're, so we're probably, I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. There was a line in, um, I always got to get a movie quote in here, Men in Black and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. He says, the person is smart, people are dumb. I always, I love that quote. <laughs> so yeah, well, yes, because that's the herd mentality. Yeah, herd mentality, exactly, to. and all the sort of things that we do now, and and you know, I look at some very intelligent people doing some very dumb things. If you follow out on the news, and some of our politicians gone to the best schools and you know, top well, education. But again, you see, we have to question what we mean by the best schools and by who. Who is saying that these are the best schools? And I'm sorry because that's a bit of my hobby horse. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, like, you know, they have metrics that, or you know, that they go, and yeah, I don't, I don't create the metrics exactly. So listen, created the metrics. So why are we measuring? If you that? take well, if you take Harvard versus uh, Augusta Tech, two different schools, one, you know, everybody and their grandmother will tell you that Harvard's a better school than Augusta Tech. Well, I don't know what Augusta Tech. It's a small. It was a small university. Right. Yeah. So, so what? What might Versus I Harvard. do if I yeah. went? If I went there, what might I do at the tech? You do the same subjects. Okay, so that's not helpful. Yeah. So, and I say that from the point of view. So, tech for me means. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. This, this was so just called tech. Do, yeah. If I just say Augusta College versus Harvard. Right. So, take the tech but out. That's, that's the whole thing, isn't it? At the end of the day, see, this is where we have to start reevaluating what's going on in society. So, you know, I, I have a great deal of respect for the professions, probably too much respect in some respects. And because I have not sort of gone a, and we've talked about an academic route before, you know, I kind of have a bit of a whole self-esteem thing going on. But at the end of the day, who do I really want to to fix my car or frankly to make sure that my boiler's working so that I have hot water you know I'm not going to call out some really really intelligent academic individual I need somebody that's going to come and look at my boiler and problem solve whatever's going on with my boiler and this is where we have to value everybody's intelligence and what everybody brings and if we value individuals and give them the space to create who they are, this is when we start looking at our, let's say, our key workers this year. I hope, I do hope a lot of people have sort of taken a step back and gone, do you know what? Look at the people who've worked on the front line in the NHS. Look at the people in social care who are looking after our elderly and our vulnerable people. And actually, let's find some respect for what they are doing and have done every day. But listen, now, is this a class classes thing as in you know rich poor because i'm just thinking so the difference between the u.s and here you guys don't seem to be as um, university oriented as we are so coming over here is the first time i've seen like managers and things that didn't go to university you don't even talk you know you don't even ask people what what the first questions you ask people in the states is what 
school did you go to? And for a school, university, college, we interchange it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is a part of our language. You guys never really talk about what university you went to as a common greeting. Um, you know, when I was working at the bank and working at, inside of companies here, um, what school you went to and all those kind of things, that didn't seem to be a conversation. Didn't seem to be a conversation in the management ranks. Whereas in the states, and one of the things that we're threatened with in school is that you know if you don't do you know pay attention and be well, then you won't get to go to university. Then you won't. You'll just be flipping burgers at McDonald's. That's the going threat for all kids going through school. So um, if you wanted to interview for a job, you know you, you can't even get in the door without having you know the university thing and again conversation what school did you go to and um, it's, it's it's the greeting you know yeah who, who do you work really with? interesting um, isn't it? and 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 yeah so it's that was you know but it's different here it's not quite the same you don't put the same emphasis on it but i'm no. understanding it so i i mean i think sort of for people of of our kind of age so again you mm. know sort of that mid 40s to, to mid 50s and above um it depends. So I, you know, my background was, um, I came from the privately educated system. And, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had the best time at school. And I am not an academic learner. And I was in an academic school. um, And, you know, it really wasn't my forte, but I would not have changed a thing. I loved school. I, I, I literally I could wax lyrical about it for years but not all my friends felt the same but I have a and I think we talked about this before you know I have several friends who went to Oxbridge um, and so I come from a background in which if you were in you know if you were in the Oxbridge system or if you went to Durham or Exeter um, then actually kind of it's a yes it was worth mentioning uh, and possibly some of the London universities but because I was from the north we weren't really that conscious um, which was an interesting thing whereas now it really uh, you know if you're not at Oxford or Cambridge it kind of doesn't matter in the academic world or in in the the professions where it counts because what happened and I can't remember exactly when because I'm not great with my politics but probably about 20 years ago Um, the government did a real push and wanted to move so that more of society was going into education. So over a a period of time, you know, what we had was you you would leave school at, well, some people would leave school at at 16, um, and then you would have A-levels or tech colleges, so the technical colleges, the practical colleges. And then if you went on from there, you'd go into the polytechnic system, which tended to be the more practical subjects, or you'd go into the university system, which was the academic subjects. And in fact, so when I left school, uh, so and there were colleges as well, so it was slightly confusing. You could have colleges that were the equivalent of A-levels, and then you could have colleges that would sort of go on further than that. So when I left school, or when I was coming up to the end of my A-levels, I was able to apply to universities and polytechnics and colleges and I mean I personally looked at this and went well that's ridiculous I only need one offer you know kind of this this gets a bit silly um and so I applied to I can't I must have applied to two universities if not three I think I might have applied to two and then I applied to a couple of colleges and and that was all to do a four-year degree in teach training 
Um, I didn't bother applying to polytechnics because it was literally how many, you know, you could waste your time applying for these yeah. things. And and I'd identified there was a couple of courses I really wanted to do. And I, I had four interviews, two at universities and, and two at, at colleges, as far as I remember. And, and obviously kind of made my choice in the end. Um, uh, so I shared that. So at that point, when I was growing up, it wasn't really about where you went. It was about what you did. What did you study? And kind of for a lot of my friends who did academic subjects, it was how then do you transfer that knowledge into transferable skills into the work? Yeah, that's what I noticed. You guys were very much sort of that kind of like even having pregnancies and stuff like that. For us, of course, we don't. It's not that complex. You you can't. You your world is. It, you're no good in the States if you leave school at 16. You just have no chance. You won't get any kind of job yeah. at all. So well, you got to do... you know now from your kids, yeah. it has changed. So now every child in the UK, or every young person, I should say, has to stay in education until they're 19 or is supposed to stay in education. And we even have a term for those who aren't NEETS, which is not in, um, in education yeah. or... Mm, I can't remember now what it stands for, but it's NWET. So, you know, the the essentially the the system, because it is a system, we are trying to keep people in education for longer. But what that means alongside is that we should be improving the offerings we have in our education system. What you don't get that is happening, but slowly. You don't have the Again, you talked about quality of school. So if I, you know, in the States, if you went to, you know, Ivy League school versus um, just and, and a normal state school. University, yeah? Yeah, university. So for us, university and colleges is the same thing. So colleges, so university is a system of colleges, but you can have a standalone college, uh, but university in, in English speak. So, yeah, degree course thing um but anyway so you know it depends on you know the what school you go to matters um mm-hmm. if you want to you know depend if you want to get a good job um and then having that degree um matters a lot more than it seems to do um here and there is a disparity in in terms of school when you were saying about what school's better um, and I can, I was, I went to most of my life educated in the North. I finished my last two years in the South and the difference between the school system was night and day. So much so that my teachers in my, you know, my last couple of years just said, this guy is a different dude. And I pretty much sat in the class, but I didn't do the same work as everybody else. They gave me more work, harder work to do. Um, because yeah, it's a, and but and, yeah, <laughs> um. Hey. So the, the differences in, in in the schools were you know a school is better than another school, and I notice around here even in the in my little town of Southern, people fight over which of the three or four schools to send their kids to because apparently some schools here are better than others. But and that's maybe another topic for a discussion here. I would here. love that to be another topic. As, as you know, yeah. I'm passionate about schooling and education. So yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm huge into, as I said, I loved learning, which is the best thing ever in the world for me um, is learning. Um, I prefer, you know, yeah, self-directed learning. Um, 
is what I say. But you've just given us an insight into why that is, because actually you were a self-directed learner. Now, whether that was because you were kind of pushed into that route or forced down that route or or just simply given it as an option. I just loved actually, it. Yeah. I mean, but it was you a, loved it. Yeah. But you've just said in, the, in, you know, your final two years at school, which let's face it, by that point, you know, you're, you're kind of forming yourself where you, you're formed as a, you were being given that opportunity to be a self-directed learner. Out Not of, many people are. Out of this. Yeah. I'm going to say out of necessity. And you're talking a school mm. of hundreds. I was the only one that way. Uh, in that school it wasn't yeah. it was it was and it was literally because of the difference in the education system um and, and yeah and where things so, yeah, were let's let's yeah, definitely so that, do an episode so about that, education and the education system because first of all i'm fascinated by the differences between the countries um but, but also uh, because it is changing and going back to what you were saying about you know the the school that you went to you know you're right if you look at our um kind of our prime ministers i think there's a hundreds of them that, that went to Eton or harrow and and actually i think we need to start questioning that and i think we need to start understanding why it's time to break that down because this is the whole uh, you know the, the quote is normally the rich getting richer and the poor are getting poorer you know but there's so much more behind that so i, I yeah no to that like I said there's a lot more i mean i went to what would be considered um an exclusive school at west point you know not everybody you have to get a presidential or vice presidential nomination or a nomination from your senator or congressman to get into this school. So oh, it's, wow. it's that kind of level of a school. But the good thing I would say about it is that you they also believed in the whole person concept. So you, you couldn't just be academically good. You couldn't just be a physical stud. And you couldn't not have done anything in your community. So part of our application was you had to demonstrate excellence in academics, excellence in athletics, and excellence in the community, as well as get a nomination from the president, vice president, or your senator or congressman um, was the admissions criteria for this university. All right. Um, let's draw a line in the sand here for the intelligence okay. piece. I can see well, that. So You've got about six talk. minutes to run. <laughs> I know until I have to, to run to the school, the school run. But, uh, you know, talking of education, kind of, we didn't even talk about there was uh, Sternberg's theory, and he had three parts of intelligence com- componential. Com- we don't com- don't, don't throw those out. Hang on, hold on to those because we can I'm always. So excited. Okay, we can always right, we'll do a follow on. We'll talk about Daniel Coleman, yeah. and we'll talk about my beloved Sir Ken Robinson, yeah. who helps people. So put um, put that in the ticker, put that in the ticker file, put it in the ticker file, and then we okay. can do another <laughs> episode somewhere down the line when we get back around our circuit of ideas. So, um, from an intelligence point of view, I think you know worth, and we'll put in the show notes a link to go and take this quiz to see where you're. Well, yeah. which one of the multiple well, the intelligence? One, yeah. yeah, the gardeners one to suggest as a place to as a starter for ten. Um, and you can just do your own sort of self-reflection to think, you know, where you feel of those categories that you excel in. And then the idea behind this is, you know, focus on your strengths um, and be okay with focusing on your strengths. So if you're naturalistic, then, you know, design your life around that. Um, if you're verbal, design your life around that. So play to your strengths. So that you can again live a more fulfilling, live up to your potential, 
um, and make your life more fruitful um, and exciting and enjoyable by playing to your strengths. Okay, I think that's it. You've got some kids to pick up. I do, but um, as you know, we always kid. need to finish off with saying if you've enjoyed this, then obviously please like it. Um, please uh, subscribe. Well, listen, if and... you made it this far, if you made it this far in the episode, then that must mean you like it. So you definitely... Yay, but share it, you know. <laughs> share, share it, it, with share it like it. Or end... Rate mm-hmm. us in the uh, iTunes store, uh, and yeah, rate us in the iTunes store. Yeah, that? we need well, we need some stars. We got to get some stars so they'll start getting pushed out in the people's algorithms, and they'll start showing up. That would um, be great. So yeah, we need some great. of that. And we're on Spotify, so you can listen to us on Spotify. That'll be good for us as well. Um. So okay, good. All right, fab. 